I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. As you turn there, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. So if you start, so start at the beginning. If you're starting at the end, finding Exodus, it'll take you a while. Exodus is toward the beginning, second book in the Bible. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12 and Luke chapter 22, and I'll read that passage. Uh, you don't, don't feel pressure to turn there. Um, Exodus 12, we've been walking through the book of Exodus, and, and I'm going to read our passages for us this morning. Exodus 12, verses 21 to 27. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel, and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter the, into your house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And then in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verses 14. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the word of God for the people of God. We've been uh, walking through the book of Exodus, and there's been a question we've been addressing. It's the question that Pharaoh poses uh, to Moses when Moses goes to Pharaoh and demands that he let God's people go as he's held them in captivity. And the question that Pharaoh asks is, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I've heard of other gods. I'm familiar with other gods, but who is your God? And why should I do what he says? And this is a theme we found in Exodus over and over and over again. We see why God is doing these plagues. And in chapter 7, verse 5, it says, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. In chapter 8, it says, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. Again, it's repeated, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. In chapter 9, so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. And again, I have raised you up for this purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name, might be proclaimed in all the earth. We see God's purpose. 
He wants to reveal his nature and who he is, that the whole world would know the nature of this God. Pharaoh wants to know. Pharaoh asks, who is your God and why should I worship him? It's the question we all have. What is the nature of God and why should we obey him? And there's no passage in all the Bible that allows us to get to this question better than what we have this morning. The Passover meal uh, for the Jews of the Old Testament, this was their central practice. The Passover was an opportunity to pass on what they know about God and how God has worked in the past onto their children, onto future generations. The Passover communicates the nature of who God is and the salvation that he brings. But it wasn't just for the Jews. The Christians, we today continue the Passover tradition in the passage that we read where Jesus takes, fulfills the Passover meal and the meal continues in the church through the Lord's Supper. These are the central practices for the Jews and for Christians today that communicate the very nature of who God is. And that is why Jesus, when he, when he uh, starts this ritual, he says, remember, remember, do this. Because there's something I want you to remember. Now, what does he mean when he says remember? What kind of remembrance is this? It's not like if you could remember school. And when you're heading, the bell rings and you're heading out of the classroom, it's Friday, you're excited for the weekend, and the teacher yells, don't forget your homework. Remember your homework. That's the last thing you want to think about as the weekend is, weekend is hitting you is doing some work at home. Schoolwork at home is the worst. Personally, I just never did it. So, and I turned out okay, I think. But it's not like the teacher saying, remember your homework. It's also not like, uh, again, thinking back to childhood a little bit, it's not like your parent telling you to remember your chores. That was also the worst. Again, the weekend hits, it's Saturday, and I'm ready to go out with friends. And my mom's like, Jay, oh, you're not going anywhere. You forgot to do your chores. And you know that feeling, oh my goodness, suffering and pain all right in this moment. I have to vacuum and clean my room. It's the worst. Remembering that Jesus is saying, it's not like a mother saying, remember your chores. Don't forget the worst thing in your day. Jesus here isn't saying, come on guys, listen, I'm going to be gone and don't, don't forget me. Remember your pal Jesus. I mean, remember the, the nice things I did. Don't forget your old pal Jesus. That's not what he's after. He's saying, listen, in the midst of the trials and the pain of life, there is something that can redefine your whole life and your whole future, and you don't want to forget that. And so this morning, as we explore the very essence the very core of who God is, let's remember a few things. Three things that we remember in the Passover meal and Lord's Supper that we want to point to this morning. And we want to, if you guys will just permit, we're just going to talk very frank. Passages like this, anytime we interact with passages uh, written to particular people in a particular culture, there's all kinds of questions that it raises. And there's a temptation for many of us in the West to think, to put ourselves on the judgment seat of all other cultures. And to think that we know best. And if, 
And if other cultures lived like we did, value what we valued, uh, related like we would relate, they would be better for it. And it's very arrogant. We're reminded when we enter back into God's work in, a, in other cultures of the diversity of the world and the different views. And so I want to invite you this morning. There's a lot of things, a lot of questions, and many of them are good questions, questions that we won't be able to get to. Last week we talked about God as judge and the struggle that that can bring for many of us. We're not going to be able to get to all our questions. We'll explore some, but I want to invite us to be willing to hear God and see how he reveals himself on his terms. Three things to remember. First, remember God's justice is coming and no one can face it on their terms. God's justice is coming and no one can face it on their terms. There's a part of this that's good news. It's good news for the Israelites who have experienced persecution and slavery for hundreds of years. It's good news for the Hebrews whose baby boys were drowned in the Nile River that God's justice is coming. But there's bad news as well, <laughs> that no one can face it on their own terms. In verse 23, he writes, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorsteps, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter into your houses to strike you. Look at that, the destroyer. Judgment is coming, and it is devastating, and it is unique. God's judgment here is unique. It's as if God's future judgment is now being experienced in a particular time, in a particular place, on a particular night. God's future judgment right here. Now, in the, we've been exploring the plagues, and the other nine plagues, in some sense, were, were natural outcomes. And that's typically how God's judgment works. There's natural outcomes to the choices that we make. For example, uh, when I eat a lot of pizza and a lot of ice cream, I feel a little sick. That's what happened last night. I was out with some friends feasting, and I wake up in the morning with a little bit of natural consequences. I could have said, God, why is your judgment? Why are you judging? You know, it's his way of illustrating. You know, oftentimes my judgment's natural. We uh, reap what we sow. Here, in the 10th plague, we see a very unique divine judgment. In chapter 11, verse 6, it says, There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. This is unique judgment that God brings. God is bringing justice. God is bringing judgment. He is rectifying the wrongs that the Egyptians have done against his people. But here's, here's the struggle. Here's the struggle. Who, who is this judgment for? Who is it for? In chapter 11, it says this about the nature of who will experience this judgment. Moses says, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. We see from Pharaoh to the lowest servant, judgment is coming, but... It's not the destroyer is coming, not just for the Egyptians. In chapter 12, we're reminded, it says, None of you shall go out 
of the door of his house until the morning. So God's people practiced the Passover meal, but they couldn't leave their home or else the destroyer would bring judgment on them too. Judgment was for everyone. Everyone needed to let the lamb to be spared. The destroyer is coming, and not just for the Egyptians, but for everyone who is not covered by the blood of the lamb. God's justice and God's judgment is severe, and it pays no respecter of persons. There's no bartering with God when it comes to his judgment. I remember the first time I bartered for a car. I, I sometimes can be overconfident. And my wife Megan and I were going to buy our first car, and we go into the Honda dealership, and it was a used Honda Accord. And I thought, oh, man, this car salesman, he really likes us. He's very kind to us. He's, you know, I, I think he wants to give us a good deal. His, prob- his goal is probably to really help us out. And that's why he wants us to take the car home tonight without even buying. He's like, you know, you can, take, you can borrow the car tonight. You can take it home. You don't need to make a decision. Just take the car home. Of course, he knew that you get someone to drive the car off the lot, they're more likely to buy it. But I thought he was doing us a favor. And so we drive the car home, and of course, we're convinced we want to buy this car, and we show up the next day. And I thought I was, like, I was really bartering well because the salesman is hanging out with us, and I'm saying, no, we need it at this price. And he would go in the other room and be there for like 30 minutes while we're sitting in there. And I'm thinking, I'm making this guy sweat. Afterwards, of course, I learned that that was just common practice uh, to get you talking amongst yourselves and thinking you're making them sweat. And I'm sure I walked out paying the price that they wanted me to pay. But I thought, man, I'm, I'm good here. I, these tactics, I'm strong. I'm going to stand my ground. No, I demand this price for the car. thought I was good at bartering. But I probably wasn't. probably just paid exactly what they expected. I did have a friend, though, who was good at bartering. His name was Brian Bellflower, and he was a pastor, and he discipled me when I was in college, and he was legally blind, and he would play that card all the time. He'd be ordering in Chick-fil-A, and he would ask, you know, hey, you know, I'm legally blind. Can you cut me a deal here? And he loved it. He played that card all the time. He was really good at bartering. He would get me doing things all the time that at first I said no to. Whether or not you're good at bartering with people, whether or not you get the best price on your car, you can get a discount on your Chick-fil-A sandwich, When it comes to God's judgment, there is no bartering. There is no bartering. Everyone who meets God's judgment on their own strength, in their own power, will face God's wrath. And we see it in the text, the different people who maybe try to barter in different ways. And what are some of the ways you're tempted to barter with God, to try to make a deal with God? Maybe you're like Pharaoh. What's the temptation Pharaoh may have had in bartering with God? He's, God, I have power, wealth, influence. If you spare me, God, we can do a lot of things. You ever prone to barter with God in that way? Resting on your influence, resting on your job, resting on money. If we could get all the gold in the world, if we could build a pyramid to you, God, then will your judgment pass? Or maybe, like the servant, how would she be tempted to barter with God? Maybe to barter with God and say, God, have you seen the injustice that has been inflicted on me? We look, and a lot of us are like, yeah, Pharaoh, he needs to get his. But why would a slave girl 
Why would God's judgment fall on her? And that's often how we divide the world. We divide the world between those who are good and those who are evil. And we think that certain people are a bit more worthy of God's judgment than others. And there's this temptation to rest in our good works, to come to God and appeal based on the injustices and wounds and pains in our story. But God's judgment is irrespective of persons. Or maybe it's the Hebrews reminding the text that they also, they need the lamb. And we, we can be tempted to come before God and barter and say, God, do you, do you not know? I am a religious person. I, my doctrinal statement is the best doctrinal statement. I studied. I went to church. I tithed. What else could you want, God? It's not your socioeconomic status. It's not your good works. It's not your doctrine. It's not your church attendance. None of that. When you're confronted with the judgment of God, we come on His terms. And what are God's terms? What is required for God's judgment to pass over? We see it as the blood of the Lamb. And here's the second thing we need to remember. We need to remember that God provides the lamb. Verse 21, uh, uh, Moses gives the instructions for the Passover. He says, go select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it into the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Now this is so interesting. So interesting. The destroyer, the great divine judgment of God is coming. And this judgment is going to cut through the strongest political and military power in the world. Like knife through hot butter. And how, how is someone to be spared? The greatest, the destroyer, the great judgment is coming. What do you need? A baby lamb. A little lamb. Now, my experience with lambs is at the petting zoo. Because a lamb is something that even my two-year-old can go up to and just touch and pet. A baby lamb is how God's judgment will be stopped? What, what, what is this about? In order to really understand the significance of the meaning of what is happening here, you need to understand the story of the lamb throughout the Bible. The story of God providing a substitute so that his people can escape judgment. It begins, it's in Genesis 22 where Abraham, his son Isaac, was to be sacrificed. And his son is spared when God provides a lamb. Here in the Passover, God provides a lamb so his people can escape judgment. And many years later, many years after this event, there would be a Passover meal. Jesus would be sitting with his disciples and his followers and in verse 14 of Luke 22 it says and when the hour came he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and he said to them I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you now there's a liturgy there's an order to a Passover meal in step one it would begin with the father or presider of the meal he would read from Exodus 6 and say God made four promises about how he would save his people 
this meal to Poseidon would say, there's four truths, promises God has made. And then everyone would recite these together. They would say, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And the last declaration, this promise of God, they would say, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to you for your own possession. They would declare these promises of God at the Passover meal. And the third step in the liturgy, the youngest, a child, would ask a series of questions. They would ask, why is this night different from all other nights? Why do we usually eat leavened bread and tonight we eat unleavened bread? And they would ask these questions. And the presider would explain the meal. They would explain the meaning of what is happening. Notice, this Passover meal is completely different. The difference, the uniqueness of Jesus presiding over this Passover meal. First, rather than only looking back, Jesus looks forward to something. He's anticipating a new deliverance. And then he takes the bread. He takes the bread, and in breaking it, he says, this is my body. Take my body. My body is the body that will experience the affliction of God. And then he takes the cup. He says, this cup is poured out for you. It is the new covenant of my blood, meaning in the same way that the young male lamb was sacrificed in order for God's wrath to pass over, my blood is being poured out so that God's judgment can pass over. Now imagine the disciples, imagine the community gathered at this meal. They look and they see the bread and they see the wine and they ask, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Jesus is the lamb of God. John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, it's why he says, behold, the lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God. For Jesus' disciples, it hits them in this moment. Jesus is a Messiah like no other they thought would come. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover Lamb. They would have been shocked. Imagine them sitting around this table. You have Matthew, the tax collector, wondering if Peter had how he was doing on his tax return. You have Thomas, who's typically doubting, wondering, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I can trust this bread. I don't know if I can trust this wine. Where's the wine from? You have Peter, probably, you know, passionate about something, getting angry about something, the disciples. But when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, they would have been absolutely shocked. Jesus is the fulfillment of their hope. He is what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And when John says behold, the Greek here isn't just look at. It's not just, hey, look, the Lamb of God. Oh, well, we were going on our way and there is a Lamb. All right, let's keep going. He said, behold, take in, trust in, have faith in this Lamb, this Savior, the story, the fulfillment, the hope of God's people rests on this land. And that invitation is for us today. There's so much 
that we want to put our trust in. We want to put our trust in our power. We want to put our trust in our success. We want to put our trust in our career. We want to put our trust in our name. We want to put our trust in our reputation. And John and Jesus say, behold the Lamb. And this is such good news. It is such good news. Because there's also a temptation to trust in Christ and then to move on to trust in our own works. But Jesus reminds us in John that everyone who the Father gives to him, he will not lose. That there is security in trusting in him as our ultimate lamb. There is security in trusting in the finished work of Jesus for our salvation. I imagine uh, many of us, we come to Jesus again and again asking for new and ultimate deliverance. It's kind of like if a, if a guy was proposing to a girl and their epic moment is here and he gets down on a knee. He says, will, will you marry me? And she's excited. Yes, yes, I will. And they take pictures. They probably had some stalker with a camera out taking a picture of this moment so she could share it, with, share it with all her friends. And she goes back and they have a party and they're telling people she's showing the ring and he's excited and love is in the air. What an epic, amazing moment. And then the next day, again, he sees her and he gets down on a knee. He says, I love you. Will you marry me? Yes, this is so sweet. Oh, again, he's pronouncing his love again. Yes, I will. I will. I, I, again, I will marry you. And he's excited. And maybe they snap some more pictures. And he's saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you every day that I love you. And I'm going to ask you every day to marry me. And she's thinking, okay, this is a little weird. I don't know if this is how it normally happens. And then the next day comes and he does it again. How long would it take for her to get a little frustrated? Like, yes, you asked me. I, I'm wearing the ring. I will marry you. But, I, but I, don't want, I want you to know. I don't want you to ever forget that I love you. Every day I'm going to ask you, how long would it take for her to get annoyed? For her to say, I've given you my word. You have made that decision. We've made this. You know, many of us, in the same way, we come to God over and over. Say, God, I, I love you. Will you forgive me? And Jesus is saying, listen. When you place your faith in me, I, you are secure in me. You are secure in me. It is not dependent on the strength of your faith even. It is not dependent on your work. I am the finished lamb. You put your trust in me, your trust is secure. Jesus is the lamb. He is God's provision, God's substitute to take on what we deserved in our place so that we could experience salvation. We remember that no one can stand before God's judgment in their terms. We remember that God provides the lamb and the story of the lamb continues. Revelation chapter 19, we get a picture of a future feast, a future feast. In verse 6, it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. 
Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. In verse 9, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We see the story of the Lamb find, it, find its ultimate ending and culmination in a future feast. That everyone who has placed their faith in this Lamb's finished work will be there. Now, next week, I, I don't like doing this. Next week, Easter Sunday, we will talk a bit more fully about the liberation that God is bringing here in Exodus and through Jesus' resurrection. But a few things as we prepare for the continuation of this Passover meal, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning, a few things. You know, in Exodus 12, we're reminded that God wants us to taste this glorious future, the future wedding feast today. He wants us to taste the hope of that salvation now. In Exodus 12, verse 7, it was interesting how they were to eat the Passover. It says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. And then in verse 8, They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, you're wondering, roasting, what does this have to do with anything? They would roast the lamb so that there wasn't much cleanup the next day because they were in a hurry. In verse 10, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. Why? Why are they to eat there to eat it with their bags packed, ready to go, what is God saying? God is saying, I'm not just saving you from judgment. I'm saving you for a glorious future. It's not just escaping the past, escaping judgment. It's something God's, there's a new work that God is inviting you into. And many of us, it can be tempting to just think that God's salvation is just somewhere out there, a future wedding feast. And we can, miss, we can miss tasting that future today. And I can't help but think, how would, how would the Egyptians be enjoying this particular Passover? I'm sure there were some around the table who were just excited. And they're probably maybe have kids, maybe uh, adults. Say, oh man, we've been waiting. We've been waiting for this time. And it is here. Yes, the Passover lamb is here, and we've been waiting, and, enjoy, and they're going to enjoy this meal. They're excited. But, you know, I bet there are some around the table that were probably a little more like me, a little cynical, and they might not have been able to enjoy this meal. Uh, they, were, they had some doubts, potentially, some doubts in the table, around the table. You know, uh, some, some of us are afraid to leave the comfort of our bondage. Some of us are afraid to leave the comfort. The, the invitation to step out into something new is there, but we think, I will play it safe. Change is hard. And maybe we're in bondage to our past, 
past addiction, a past identity. You know, they had been defined, they had defined themselves as slaves for so long they didn't even know what freedom and liberation looks like. Past selfishness, past despair, afraid to step out into the future, not able to enjoy the meal of God's deliverance because they're afraid of what the new life can look like. And so there's a temptation for us. Deliverance is on the door, and we don't walk out because in some way we find comfort in the bondage of our past. You know, others, I think, they would have struggled. They would have struggled to enjoy this feast because they would have questions for God. You know, God says he's bringing deliverance now. Well, where has he been for 400 years? Where has he been? And we can doubt the power and goodness and promises of God. They've been waiting, waiting for years, waiting for years. And Moses is going to walk up in here. Some plagues are going to happen. And now the deliverance? Now? Been waiting, God. Where have you been? Now, there's different types of waiting that we can experience. Uh, some of us are waiting for something we don't want. <laughs> waiting for something you don't want. Waiting to have the hard conversation that you need to have. I know that feeling. Uh, anything I can do to get out of this situation. I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want this confrontation. Uh, someone else, if I just wait... If I just don't clean up my room like my mom asks, maybe someone will come and do it for me. I'm you know, waiting for someone to show up. Waiting for the news we don't want to hear. Waiting for death. Uh, others of us, we're waiting for something we do want. Waiting for deliverance. Hoping for salvation. Waiting for this future wedding. Waiting for a good meal. We know what it feels like to wait our culture has very little appetite for that. I mean, even baseball, they're trying to speed up. The whole point of baseball is it's not like football. You're, 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 you go and you enjoy. You have a hot dog and you, and you uh, watch the game, but you also people watch and you take your time. You just relax and you take it all in. It's not just about the home runs. They're trying to speed it up. Their culture doesn't want to wait quick now. We struggle to wait. And many of us are afraid to walk out into the deliverance that God wants to bring because we have waited and we miss out. Friends, the Lord's Supper is God's declaration to you that he sees the injustices of the world and no one can escape his judgment and that is why he sent his son into the world as the substitute to die in our behalf. And God doesn't want to just save you from judgment. He saves you for a glorious future. A future wedding feast, but also present deliverance. God wants to bring healing now. And the Lord's Supper is God's declaration that it can happen. This morning, as we partake in this historical practice, 
I want to invite you to consider, what do you need to remember? What do you need to remember? Do you need to remember Jesus as your substitute? Do you need to remember that God wants to bring healing now, that God wants to rescue you from something today? What do you need to remember as you come forward in our time of response? Jesus, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Let's remember and respond. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are a God who brings salvation in the dark areas of life. Lord, we acknowledge that there's so many questions we have, so many things we can't comprehend, but we're thankful that you answer the biggest question, and that is who? Who can bring ultimate deliverance? Thank you providing your son the Lamb of God. May we trust in Him. May we find our security in Him. May we rest in His work and not our own. And may we rest and cherish the identity that we have as your children. We pray this in the name of our Lamb, Jesus Christ. Amen.